good afternoon. It's, the wind is quick for a day or so, maybe. <laughs> I've been out walking, and uh, it's been a challenge to walk. I uh, sometimes get out there and say, well, let's see, do I want to walk most of the time into the wind when I start or most of the time when I end? So, but I take the dog out for a walk twice a day, so, and it's been a challenge. But today was a beautiful day. I was able to go out in the back porch, and um, inside my house is cold, so I go out in the back porch, and I can sit down there, and I can get nice and warm in the sunshine, so it's really nice. The other day when I was, last Thursday, Tuesday, I'm sorry, Tuesday, when I was out walking the dog, I'd been working on this sermon for a while, and I was walking the dog, and I get about a quarter of the way around, and I, I said to myself, well, self, what are you going to speak about this week? <laughs> and I said, oh, I guess I'll talk about God. We're supposed to talk about God anyway. And I said, well, that's a big subject, so what, what about God would I talk about? And I thought, well, there could be a lot of things about God. I said, well, I can talk about my life. Uh, and and me and God, or my life without God. Now, it's pretty easy to to, uh, to handle that that program of uh, getting tied up inside the world and tied. Uh, I think since my second daughter gave me a Roku channel deal, I spent a lot more time on uh, on a Roku than I I need to get rid of it. <laughs> I can remember back when part of the first came into the church and raising children and having eight kids. I uh, I put a lock on the TV, an electrical lock. I shut it down so that I said, "You kids can only watch TV on Saturday nights and Sundays. <laughs> the rest of the time it was shut off." And that way they got their schoolwork done, and they did a pretty good job of it. But uh, I don't know, maybe. It, Maybe I need to think more about God and less about me, or maybe more about me and God, and I think probably for all of us. Uh, and I got to thinking, well, you know, in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27, it says, Do you see your calling? And I sat back, and all week, you know, I've been sitting back there, um, just what? What, what do I mean? What is my calling? What's my job? My responsibility? Uh, what am I supposed to be doing? I've been in the church now for 59 years, uh, considering the time of being called in, 2000, uh, in, in 1962. And, uh, you know, when I first came into the church, I really got with it. So, you know, I'd get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and pray and I had a prayer list. You know, I had 20 or 30 names on a list and uh, pray about everybody and then I'd study for a while and pray some more and then go off to work. And uh, You know, it's a pretty difficult time sometimes. So back many years ago, I got to thinking, um, when I was thinking about this sermon, uh, did I ever give it a lot of thought of what my calling is? Do I you know, really contemplate um, the depth of of my life and uh, in calling? And as a Christian, as one called out by God, and uh, so I I added all this to the where I started from when I was thinking about three weeks ago. I started with Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I was, I've been going through, uh, uh, since I have a struggle reading, I started in, in Acts and read Acts and then Romans and 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and Galatians and it was in Ephesians and been a lot of really important things that when you sit down and, and read it and then and most of the time I'd read it in about four different translations. I got one on, on, the, on the Bible called uh, Easy to Read. Uh, it, 
unless you get a little bit of different understanding of what, what the scriptures have to say. So here in Ephesians 4 verse 1 it said, I therefore, the prisoner of the eternal, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. So I got to thinking of that. Vocation. Well, what is a vocation? It's a, a, it's a person's employment. It's what you do for your living to help yourself, if your family. It's, it's a, your main occupation. So sometimes some people have two or three or three or sometimes can do four vocations. But the main occupation, your vocation is especially regarded as particularly worth, uh, worthy rather, and requires great dedication. So Paul said his vocation, so I got to thinking, how dedicated have I become in my life, in my Christian calling? Am I really dedicated to it? Well, I guess I can say uh, when worldwide fell apart, I didn't go off the deep end. I remember one person coming to me and saying uh, it was Passover. And he was going to go to some kind of a pick you up by your bootstrap meeting and I said, um, that's Passover, you can't do that. And his comment to me was, well, our pastor didn't tell us it was Passover. But as a Christian, we should know those things. At least I thought, I do it, I understood that. So, was I dedicated enough to Passover? Yes. I didn't go to some money-making scheme that generally doesn't pay you any money anyway. You're probably not putting more out than you get in. A vocation also is something that you are suited for, you're trained into, and you qualify for. So when I look at spiritual thinking, I've been trained. 58 years of baptized. I've been trained for 58 years. Um, was I suited for it? Probably not, because I was doing something else. I did not look for God's way of life. I came because God knocked me down and said, this is what you're going to do. So I was trained for it, and I qualified for the job. It's something to ask yourself. Am, am I qualified to do what I've been called to do? Well, maybe not, but after many years, you get to a point where you are qualified. If you go back to what I said first, if I'm dedicated to it. You're qualified if you really become really, really dedicated to doing that. We can hold different jobs. Uh, if we're not dedicated to them, we might not stay around a while. Uh, my first job I, that I, I, after being a kid, after getting out of high school, was learning how to be an inline juice extractor mechanic and a grapefruit peeling machine mechanic. And, um, and then it switched on to something else. I went into electronics. And 22 years in electronics gave that up to become a beekeeper. How, how suited was I for those? I had to train for them. And I had to be dedicated in order to do it. When it comes to beekeeping, they tell you, you have to be dedicated or you just won't make it in beekeeping. It's a pretty tough job. So I was suited and trained for it. Uh, a vocation is also in strong, it's the same word used for calling. So when Paul said his vocation is also his calling, so Paul was saying, I was called for this job, and I did it because I was called for it. It's also, it's a function or a situation in life to which one is called by God. Well, we've been called by God. We have other things we like to do, maybe, and sometimes we can do them easier than people. <laughs> Doing God's way of life, like I said, it's easier to sit down and watch TV. It's easy to uh, just waste time because it's, TV is mostly uh, 
play acting. Um, it's fantasy land. It's never really what really happens. Uh, Christ called them hypocrites. And that's what a hypocrite is, is a play actor. Scribes and Pharisees were that way. A vocation also is a marriage. If you're really in love with your wife and you're developing a family, it is a vocation. It takes dedication. It takes uh, being suited for it. Some people are not suited for marriage. But a marriage is what we're looking forward to, too. So for us in the church, our vocation is also a marriage. We're going to marry Christ. And I ask myself, am I suited to get married to Christ? Am I suited for these things? Do I really want to marry Christ? Is that important enough to me? In Matthew 25, uh, the first part is the about the ten virgins. Right here it, it lists, I'm not going to go through it, we all understand it, we know that, uh, that the ten virgins, they were all virgins. They were all set up to marry Christ. How dedicated were they? How suited for the job? How trained had they become? Were they qualified? Well, we find out that half of them were not qualified because they were not dedicated enough. In verse 10, in 25 verse 10, it says, And while they went, the others, the five that were not trained enough, the five that were not qualifying enough, went out to become qualified. So while they were out there trying to re-qualify to handle the job that they were given, the ones that were ready, the ones that were really dedicated, went into the marriage, didn't they? And that's what's set up to us. You know, we're, we're called to be a part of the bride of Christ. It's a responsibility. Do we really want to be there? In turn to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. It's, a, it's interesting to realize that for us to be a part of the bride of Christ, we must really want that. We really want to be a part of it. Because those five virgins, that half, that group, that didn't qualify, when they came back in to get into the marriage, Christ said, the door shut. It's too late. It's too late. It's too late to do. You already had your opportunity. And we know right now that the church is being tried. Most of the world is not. They will have their chance. But this is ours. This is our responsibility. Revelation 19, verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. We want to be there. I want you to be there. I want to be there. I want to know, am I ready for that marriage? That's a job that has been set in front of each one of us. A job to put our lives, our calling to be a part of that. Verse 8, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. So there's a, an indication if we're going to be a part of that bride, do we have righteousness? Are we part of the righteous saints? It's a, it's a challenge, and it's a lot of work. Sometimes it's easy. 
over the years, uh, after being so dedicated in the first part, in the mid to, to late 70s, things became easy. We seemed to, as a church, seemed to become more relaxed. Uh, instead of fixing food on Friday, we would go out to eat on Saturday afternoons. We had people say that, well, I have little kids and I ran out of milk, so it's okay to run to the store and buy milk for my babies. We got lost. We, we lost the dedication that was required. We thought back in the 63 and 64 that uh, Christ is going to return. We're going to go to a place of safety in 72 and he'll be returned by 80, I mean 75. But that didn't happen. And so we said, well, 85 will be the thing, and that didn't happen. And you know, as we go through time, it's easier to uh, maybe not keep studying as deeply or hardly as you should study. I've seen that happen in the church. They came out with the STP. It was totally ungodly. Because now it was said, it's, uh, you, can, you can do whatever you want on a Sabbath. Well, mostly restricted. As long as, as long as the pastor didn't see you, you're okay. Or your wife didn't tell your neighbor. You know, we could do all kinds of things. But we become, we go to sleep. It's like Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, 14 where it says, the Laodiceans thought, we have it made. I don't really, I mean, hey, I'm in the church. I grew up in the church. I was 25 when I came into the church, when I started studying. So I grew up, basically, in the church. I've been in the church probably longer than some of you have been alive. So, you know, it's, it's been a long time. But it's been easy to do the things of the world. So I said, when I asked that question, do I want to be in with God? Or do I want God in me and the world in me? And it's a choice you've got to make. A whole life is all choices. When we started this little group in 2000, it was exciting. We had 70 people, I believe, that first meeting. And it was really exciting, and all things were new. And, and uh, Daryl was, was one, has, like a lot of the other apostles had been in the time past, they were excited. They thought Christ would return very soon. And the knowledge that God gave to Daryl, we all looked at, we're going to, we're going to, be changed here. We're going to see it. All of our family, everybody's going to be here. And then it became 2005. And then it became 2010. So now 10 years passed. And today, 22 years have passed. For in, in this group of people here, there's only two of us I know that were here at that time. Well, three, four. So we're here over here too. And so we thought, boy, this is really because the message has always been the same. It's how dedicated you are. But God allows us to have time. Sometimes we get so tied up like the parable of the sower. You know, some seed falls on the ground and before that can ever germinate. Before it ever gets a chance to even put out the first root. It just doesn't make it. And I've seen a lot of people like that in my life. And then some will fall on the rocks and it's so exciting and we put out the effort and we out there and really try and we put some we put some effort into it. But we get a trial comes up. Uh, you have to work. You can't have Saturday off. You you've got to work Saturday. Or you 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 can't not keep Christmas. You know, everybody keeps Christmas. So, we, you know, your family becomes 
really down on you because you don't. One trial, each person it was different. It's always different. It's not always the same. We're, we we look at life as a generality, but not particulars. So each one, it's just like the medical profession. They treat everybody generally, but not particularly, because we don't look at people being the same. So we, I find that it was easy to slip backward, and I was witnessed it in worldwide, and I witnessed that here in this little group since it started here. I watched people become more complacent. Well, I'm a part of the church, so I don't have to come to services. I don't have to uh, do this. I don't have to listen to that. And we take sermons personally. Well, maybe we do take it personally, but it's a generally personal thing. I've had people come to me and say, you preach that sermon right at me. And I said to the person, you weren't even in my thoughts. Maybe you had the problem and it needed to be attacked, but you weren't in my thoughts at all. Verse 9. Let me finish that one up in Revelation 19, verse 9. And he said unto me, Write, Blessed are they that are called. So he's saying, You are blessed. You have a special blessing because you have been called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. Makes me think, do I really want to be there? What am I willing to give up? And he said unto me, these are true sayings of God. God put this out. He wants you there. He's called you for that specific job. So, one job, one part of our calling, then is to be the bride of Christ. So when I sat there and thought, well, I'm going to talk about God, I need to talk about me and God. What I do in my relationship with God, do I want to be married to God? The second thing, that vocation that means so this is this is a, this is the second job that you have. So you have two jobs we're gonna see here. Our second job is we're to be sons and daughters of God. That's a job, it takes work. We can you know, for most in in my experience of family relationships, the girls always call the parents and the boys seem to hold back. But I can remember, I loved my dad. I wasn't super close. But I always wanted him to help me and teach me. And so it took effort on my part. If I needed help, I had to go and seek it. I had to go to my father and say, Help me. Show me what, what I'm doing wrong. Um, lead me. It becomes, it becomes a job. I think uh, Mr. Herbert Armstrong used to say, uh, if you're looking for a job, you make a job out of looking for a job. I had kids that would say, well, I put an application in. Um, did you get the job? Well, no. They told me they will call me. I said, Go look for another job. Keep on looking. If you really want a job, you have to put a job into getting a job. You have to really want that. If you want to be a son of God, you've got to put some effort into it. It's just not going to happen. The, the back at that parable, some fell by the wayside. Some people just didn't want to be children of God. They never had it. They didn't have any roots, anything back behind them. 
Some put out some effort, but when the trial became so tough, they, you know, God corrected you. He spanked you. He come down on you because you were doing something wrong. What did you do? Walk away. I'm not going to put up with that. I mean, my children would have said something back to me. I would have spanked them for it. Or I would have restricted them for it. But they would not turn their back on me. So I had to make a job out of being a son. In in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 verses 1 and 2. Here John is telling us how to be a son. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Consider that. We're to be children. And it says, John was inspired to write, look at the love that God has given to us. That we should be called his children. That's a lot of love. I want my dad to always call me son. Call me and hug me and hold me. That we should be called the Son of God. Therefore, the world knows us not because it didn't know God. So the world doesn't know who we are. We're basically nobodies out here because they don't know God and they don't know that our requirements, you know, what are your requirements to be a son? Prayer, Bible study, doing away, doing without some things that you think would be, I would rather do to be a son. Beloved, now are we the sons of God and it does not yet appear what we shall be. I've thought about that a lot. What's it like to be in a spirit being? I'm physical. I hit the table. You know, I, I, I get a cold. I, I get cold at night. I, you know. But what's it like being a spirit being where you won't die? You don't hunger. But we know that when He, Christ, and the Father appear, we shall be like Him and we shall see Him. We don't see God physically. We only see God as we read. So it's a, it becomes that's part of the job you have to become a sign. You have to read. You have to follow the directions. You have to want to be there. You've got to put your heart into it. We're called a third calling, a third job. We're called to make peace and edify each other. Turn over to Romans 14. I didn't have a chance to write all, put all these down, so we'll have to struggle through this. Romans 14. Romans 14 and verse 19. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace. So here we're told we've got to, we've got to go out and work to make peace. It's not easy. It's not going to come real easy. We can get our feathers ruffled. Somebody might say something we don't like, or they do something we don't like, or and, and we get our feathers ruffled and we don't make peace. But it takes effort to have peace. We've got to be able to forgive each other. We've got to be able to help each other. You know, James, I think it is, James 5, it tells us that if we see a brother or a sister making a mistake, um, we're not to judge them. We're to go there and help them and, and help them do what's right. So we're to work at making peace in the things that may edify each other. So it says iron sharpens iron. Do we spend the time sharpening iron, spending the time with each other? It's, it's an interesting thing to realize that 
another job that we have is to make peace. It takes work. Not only work, it takes education. And you have to want to make peace. There are people that just don't want to have peace. I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. Another job. So, you know, uh, this job is to learn to speak the same things. We come here to church. We hear sermons. I do believe that God called Daryl and put him. He gave him the information. Most people don't listen. They, they just don't want to speak the same thing. It's, it's difficult. But we should be helping each other in everything we do. We'll go to the Philippians. Turn this page here. Excuse me. <coughs> Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to read 13 through 16. Philippians 3, 13 through 16. Here, Paul writing to the church in Philippi. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to apprehend, but the one thing I do, forgetting the past, uh, forgetting the things that are behind, and reaching forth to the things before. And I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. So, you know, see, we've already heard five things that we're called to do. We, he, pressed, he pressed for that high calling. He put effort and energy into it. Let us, therefore, as many as be perfect. So here's, he's, he's admonishing us. If we want to be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything be you otherwise minded, God shall reveal even unto you. So there are times that we just don't always understand everything. And in my life in the church, I've seen change. A lot of change. Calendar, Passover, a lot of things have changed. Church going from being together to being totally split apart. Nevertheless, whereunto you have already attained, let us walk by the same rules, let us mind the same things. So Paul's saying, we need to have the same rules we all need to work at following and doing those things. Let's go back up in verse 13 and notice something that says there. He said, one thing I do, one important thing, so he had to work at this. He says, forgetting those things which are behind. He said, I have to put what it was before I came into the church. Before God opened my understanding, I have to put all that stuff out. You know, you can go back and read Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. It tells you to put out the old man. Put out the Get rid of the old person. Put those things that you did many years ago in First Peter 2, verses five through, 1 through 5, it says, uh, leaving the past. We can't just dwell always in the past. We have to start dwelling in the future, what's ahead of us. And it takes effort and energy. It's easier to put it out it's harder to change. Robert Armstrong said that many times. It's harder to change the right things than to put out the old. It's just, you just don't, if you're so locked into a certain way of life, you're going to have a hard time to, 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 to do the new things because you're so stuck on the old. And then in the other part it says, reach forward to those things which are before. So if we if we stop thinking of bad things or our old way of life and how nice it was to have a good job or or family or whatever it was, but it's let's look forward to the things in front of us. 
things that make us children of God, things that will, as it says in Philippians 2, verse 12, it says to work out your own salvation. It's easier to work somebody else's out because we can see your mistakes. You see mine, I see yours, we see Daryl's, we see uh, everybody in the church's mistakes. But we don't always want to sit back and look at our mistakes. Our calling is not to judge each other. Our calling is not to find somebody else's mistakes. I think of Passover, you know. We spent tons of time getting our house holy. Our car is holy and righteous, but do we spend as much time as, as getting our house cleaned as we do the crumbs in our own life? So we are to, to search ourselves, to reach forward, not with, with somebody else's life. They might do something that I wouldn't do, but it's not my problem. My problem is what I do, how I respond, how I react. So, I got down to the point where I started saying to myself, what is my job? Well, I already saw that I'm to be a son, I'm supposed to be a I'm supposed to be a, uh, married to Christ. I'm supposed to help other people. Well, I've been ordained a deacon in 1969. What was my job then? I was ordained an elder in 1998, I think, 98. What's my job as an elder? I've been given the opportunity to do sermons. Do I put that job, because those are important jobs to God, but he gave jobs to me personally. So he's given jobs to you personally. I've asked myself many times and probably said to others, I don't know exactly what all I'm supposed to be doing here, but I'm supposed to be doing it. So what are we doing? Well, many years ago, like 2001, I think it was, a man who now sleeps said, we're a set-up crew. And it came on and they has been preaching that. We're a set-up crew. Oh, so one of my jobs then must be to be a set-up person? As a deacon, I used to set up the hall. As a deacon, I used to help build houses or help the widows or whatever it was came us, as people, we have a job. We're a setup crew. We're called to prepare for other people. You hear that in sermons all the time. As Daryl goes through the minor prophets over and over and over again, it's always the same thing. We have to be preparing ourselves to help others, as it said earlier, to help other people and to edify, edify other people, to make peace. So, we're a set of crew. Can we do that? Are we putting the effort and energy into doing that? So, as a, you know, if I really want to know what a deacon wants to do, and, and this not only means a person that's been ordained, each one of us has that same responsibility as a deacon and an elder, you go back and read that. Take time. Read it. Study it. Think about all the parts of it. You'll find that in 1 Timothy 3. And in Titus. It'll tell you. There's a job that, that you need to learn to be qualified for. Just as I have to find and go back over those things constantly and say, as a deacon, I had that responsibility to love God first, love Christ, take care of my family, and then take care of the church. Those are 
jobs requirements. And for each one of us, as a setup crew, we're going to have people coming. I do believe, I don't know how, I don't know how many. Uh, Daryl looks at it, there may be 15,000 or 7,000. That blows your mind. Because I remember being uh, in St. Petersburg, having the responsibility for the head count of the whole auditorium. And it was a big job, especially when there was seven to 15,000 people attending church at Feast in St. Pete. So I asked myself, then, since I've been ordained an elder, I'm ordained a deacon, a, 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 I have an opportunity to serve by doing a sermon once in a while. I have to ask myself, I ask me, me, I say, Nelson, how well are you doing? I sat out there this morning and said, you kind of fall short in a lot of areas, don't you? You know, so I'm self-judging myself more than probably I should. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10. How well do I do? Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10 says, So whatsoever your hand finds to do, whatever your hand... And sometimes God puts your hands there. So whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. God wants you to put a lot more, a lot more effort into your life than what sometimes we want to put into it. It's, it's too easy to sit back and take it easy. For there's no work, nor device, nor knowledge, or wisdom in the grave where they're going to go. So you have a certain time period while you're alive. I mean, I've, I think there's, right now, there's 17 people buried actually in the back of my yard. That their efforts and their energies that they put in now rest. Jeremiah 19, uh, 29, rather. Jeremiah 29, verse 13. Jeremiah 29, verse 13. It says, And you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all of your heart. So we want to be a part of what God is. We want to be a part of that set-up crew. But it says we've got to put a lot. We have to put lots and lots of energy into that. Because we've got to seek to be a part. We want to be sons and daughters. We want to marry Christ. We want to be in the family of God. He's saying, you've got to search for it. It's just not going to come up there and slap you in the face. You've got to go out and search for it. You've got to do a lot. In Matthew 25, verse 14, is the parable of talents. And you, you know the parable. We've gone through that in the church many times where God had servants. He gave them talents. God gives talents or opportunities or jobs to your ability. Not all of us have the same abilities. Some of us can do only one thing. The, the story of the, the janitor. He wasn't the head of the company. He didn't have some executive position. He was a janitor. But he was the best janitor around. Whereas a lot of the higher-ups were just, they were doing their job. And when it came to a point where you said, you're going to have be a part of the kingdom of God, and the guy who was the executive vice president didn't make it because he just did his job halfway once in a while. But the janitor did his job the best he was able to do it. And for God... That's what he wanted. 
story in the parable of the talents, we find that some people, the guy with five talents, he put a lot of effort and energy into that talent. Every one of them. And he expanded them. And so I think to myself, I've done a lot of things in my life. How am I doing? How, how am I doing? So I asked that myself, how do I do those things? So in the talents, the parable of the talents, one guy said, I only have one talent. He wasn't, this guy wasn't the janitor. He was a, a fellow that felt that I know a lot. I could do a lot. But God only gave me one thing to do. Only gave me one thing to do. To be a son. To be a part of the bride of Christ. But I can do more. David said he would rather be a doorkeeper in God's kingdom than to be an executive president who didn't care. So the guy with the one talent who worked at it and worked at it and did the best he could was part of the kingdom of God. But the one who sat back and looked down on God because he only had one thing to do didn't make it. So whether we're one job or five jobs or ten jobs, it's how much effort and energy you put into it. An example I'll go to. Joseph. You know Joseph. He was the next to the youngest son of Isaiah, uh, Israel, Jacob. He was the next to the youngest son. He was given dreams. God gave him some dreams. He said, this is the job that you're going to have. He didn't know it at the time. He didn't grasp it fully at the time, but God said, this is a job you're going to have. And so he told it to his dad and his mother, and he told it to his brothers, and they all looked down on him. But what happened? They sold him to Egypt. His brothers sold him because they hated him, because he was arrogant, they thought. He was so loved by their dad more than they were. But what did Joseph do? He was taken to Egypt, taken to Potiphar's house, sold as a slave to Potiphar, who was a, a captain of the guard. So he had a position. He was a lot of people under him. But what did Joseph do? He was a slave. He was the best slave that Potiphar had. He was so uh, worked so hard to to take care of the job he was given that he was made bigger. He had more responsibilities. So he increased his talents. But he was like Isaiah 66 2 says. He was humble, but he trembled at God's word. And so he was put in jail because he loved God first. And we know that even in jail, a slave in jail, where it was not the nicest place to be, still did the best he could. And eventually, because he always did as best he could, he worked hard at the job that was given to him. He became second in charge of the whole nation. We're offered to be right with Christ everywhere in charge of the universe. You know? We're down, we'll be third, fourth, whatever it is. There will always be the Father. There will always be Christ. And there will always be the Bride. And they will always be in the leadership. And that's offered to us. 
Yes. We want to put the effort and energy into it. That's our job. It's so fantastic. It, you know, it's just way out. Just makes you really think, I want to be there. I want to be a part of that. How bad, how much do I want to be a part of that? Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. Romans chapter 10. Here Paul speaking to the Romans, speaking to us. This is talking to us too. Romans 10, verse 1. Brethren, my harsh desire and prayer to God for Israel that they might be saved. Is that our hope? Are we hoping and praying to God that each other, the church, the country, will eventually be saved? The whole, your family, your past family, your friends, the people you've known, come acquaintance with over the years. Do we really want them to also be a part of God's family? For I bear them record that they have a zeal for God how about in the church? People that we used to know, some that are falling away, they have a zeal for God. My parents, my brothers, sisters, my past family had a zeal for God. They wanted to be a part of God, but not according to knowledge because they didn't know what was going on. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. So they did not know the righteousness of God and going about to establish their own righteousness. You can hear that on the alternative news. Go to Right Beyond TV. Listen to these people. They have a, they have their own righteousness. But they're trying, but they really don't know God. They have a zeal for God, but they really don't know Him. So they they establish their own righteousness and have not submitted themselves. They don't submit themselves to the righteousness of God. That's a job we have to do, too. We've got to submit to God and that takes work. It takes not wanting to to do our own way. Verse 14. Go on down to verse 14. How then shall they call on Him? How can they develop this righteousness with God if they don't believe in God? And my parents believed God but they, or believed in a God, but they really didn't know God Hope that I believe I really know God. And have, and now shall and how shall they believe in God? How shall they believe in what he's whom they have not heard? They haven't really heard the truth. They hear doctrines of men, as Christ said. We're sometimes led away by the doctrines of people, by leadership that really don't know God, that they're doing their own righteousness. So, how can they believe? And how shall they believe in him whom they haven't heard? And how can they hear without a preacher? So, a preacher has a job. If he does it right, then God will give him the rewards for a preacher. So, God has to select that. Verse 15. And how shall he be a preacher except he is sent. So we have a preacher here. And he is here because God sent him. The preacher has a job and he really has to work at it. It's difficult, but he has the training. He has the calling and the training. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach 
the good news, the gospel of peace, and bring glad tidings of good things. What's going to happen in the future? Not the past. What's coming down in the future? But they have not all obeyed the good news, the gospel. What Paul's teaching, what God inspired in the scriptures, as Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? You know, sometimes we send out knowledge, we put out this stuff, and it just seems like it doesn't go anyplace. Nobody wants to hear. Because we, it is so difficult to have a routine, a background, and to change that background. Because it is the way of life. They say 21 days doing something and it becomes habit. So it is a habit. It's a habit that the church has. And the church hasn't been willing to change. So then, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So what is the hearing? It's what's brought to us through the Scriptures as God reveals it to the one speaking. But I say, they have not, uh, have they not heard? Has not, it's been spoken in the church a lot of places? Yes, truly. Uh, their sounds went out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Well, the apostles preached, Paul preached, Herbert Armstrong preached, we've been preaching. The church, many others, many congregations, different congregations have preached these things. It's gone out to the end of the world. But they haven't heard. They're not listening. And we're coming to a point in our life today that you are the enemy of the state if you believe God is in charge. We are the enemy of the state. Because it's not that they haven't... The noise that the words have gone out, but nobody's listening. So we're going on a downhill stream toward destruction. Verse 21. But to Israel... He said, God said, All day long I have stretched out forth my hand to a disobedient and gainsaying people. Is that not happening in, in this country today? People don't want to be a part of it. Just don't want to do what's right. So, I go back to the beginning. What am I going to speak on? On God? God in my life? Or God outside of my life? Do I speak about God and what I need to change? Do I speak about God's calling? The vocation that He gave to me? And I ask myself, again, how am I doing? How am I doing? Am I growing? day by day, like the scripture says? Or am I just stagnant? Am I a Laodicean? Laodiceans are stagnant. They just don't want to continue to grow. And it's sad because Christ said, I come to the door and knock. Every Sabbath we hear God calling us. He's knocking at the door. Do we invite him into our life, to my life, or do I say, not today, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week? How much do I want to be a bride? Is it strong enough, bad enough, that I will do whatever it takes. I will give up whatever it takes to be the bride, to be a child of God. Do I really want 
God in my life. End thought. Just how important is my calling?